0: Gene to Cyclops It's over Rogue's okay What are you doing? Sorry, Steve. Use your pitiful tricks on somebody else I belong with the X-Men now Xavier's gone Only I can help you Only I could ever help you You never loved me You only cared about my powers You made me worse than a killer How can you do this to me? I raised you like my own your daughter, Mystique. Not anymore. Well, look at this. How would you dress up for me? I'd like to sometime, then, But I'm spending today with an old friend.
1: Our Jane Doe? Her name's Carol Danvers. We were very close.
0: Back to Who and Company, where Doctor Who fans join the company to discuss themselves, their work, Doctor Who, and another show they love. It's episode 54. I'm Brent, and
2: I'm Drew. Now, before we start, as of this day's recording, uh, and I'm saying like no more than like six hours ago, it was just announced that both Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall will be leaving the show after three special episodes sometime in
0: 2022-2023, following season 13. Like most doctors in New Who, this will have been Jody's third series, but she's definitely gotten less episodes than any modern doctor, save for Eccleston. So what do you think about the news?
2: Uh, Brent, am I a bad person if I'm kind of happy that Chibnall's leaving? (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: because I agree with you. (laughs) And it's it's nothing
2: Uh, against Chibnall per se. I, I enjoyed quite a bit of Chibnall's writing when he wrote for other doctors, but I'm
0: not really thrilled with him as the showrunner. Agreed. Um, and I found out this information um, right before we recorded because you told me. I <laughs> had not heard it today. So uh, it is brand new for me. And that I was just saying before recording, I, I was telling you that um, I really wish you uh, would have gotten at least an episode or two with a different showrunner, Um, somebody that would have a different spin on her, maybe that would give, let her shine a bit more than she has.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think listeners, I mean, it's important to me that listeners know that I have nothing against Jody Whitaker and I don't have anything against Chris Chibnall as a, as a writer. Um, but I haven't really enjoyed the last three series or the, the last two series, I guess. Um, right. uh, I've enjoyed episodes and I've definitely enjoyed parts and I've, I've loved Jodie Whittaker as a doctor, but um, the show has been uh, it hasn't been hitting on all cylinders for me in the way that previous doctors have. And it has nothing to do with Jodie Whittaker. Um, And, and you know, I get it. I'm a doctor who fan. So I know that if I, if you don't like the show, wait three years and it'll change and it's doing that. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 I wish so much more for Jodie Whittaker. And I think Brent, you had mentioned when we were talking that it's probably only a matter of time before she comes back for a multi-doctor story. Uh, And so I I definitely look forward to seeing what happens
0: with that. Yeah, that's what I was saying, that um, I'm sure she'll be up for a multi-doctor story in the future when we'll have a different showrunner, different writers. And um, she may come across a a, a bit better Um, through no fault of her own, of course. It was the writing. Uh but like Tennet did when he came back for Stephen Moffat's story. Yeah. Uh, for the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, Doctor Who, it's a show about time travel, so we'll discuss this more in the future. But for the present, this month our guest is the co creator and co host of Flight Through Entirety, Bondfinger, and appropriately enough, Jody into Terror. Uh, he's Australian podcaster Brendan Jones. Brendan joined us to talk about podcasting with five of his closest friends for several years, bridging the gap between the classic series and the modern series, and strangely
0: enough, how a broken elbow in a wrestling match got him into Doctor Who. (laughs) Then Brendan brings along his pick of the month, the highly revered Fox Saturday morning cartoon X-Men the Animated Series. We discuss the difference in tone of this show compared to others at the time, the season arc format, and how they relate to the movies that were released a decade later. And all that's coming up right
2: after this. Bub. The X-Men do, Bub. Bub. Okay, Bub. Drop it, Bub. Bub. Thanks for the lift, Bub.
1: The only place you're going is down, Bub. Bub. Bub.
2: I feel the way I feel, Bub.
0: I don't know who you are, Bub. 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 Watch it, bub. Hey, it's a big island, bub. How are you, you old war? Something I can do for you, bub. Sorry, pal. For several years now, our guest this month has been co-host of the very successful Doctor Who podcast, Flight to Entirety, where he joins his friends in reviewing every single story in order. You can also find him doing James Bond commentaries on Bondfinger, Jody into Terror, where the 13th Doctor stories are reviewed, And also on YouTube in Doctor Who in 10 Seconds, where he summarizes stories in 10 seconds, one season at a time. Joining us all the way from Australia, Brendan Jones. Welcome to Who and Company. Hello.
1: Thank you very much, Brent. Hello, Brent. Hello, Drew.
0: Hello, hello. hello. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I've been a big fan of Flight Through Entirety for a very long time. Uh, It's very funny. I learned quite a lot listening to your show because at least one of you is a professor. Isn't that right?
1: Um. We have, we have a couple of teachers and uh, other, other professionals. I don't think we have a professor, but we do know a professor, actually, <laughs> uh, who, who's not interested in being on the show, but he, he, do, he does correct us occasionally, so, uh, in private.
0: I was thinking it was Nathan, maybe. Is Nathan um, a teacher?
1: Uh, yeah, Nathan's a teacher, uh, but I'll tell him he comes across as a professor. I think he'll like that.
2: <laughs> Very erudite, and not at all pretentious. Or very pretentious, depending on how you like it. (laughs) Well, we are a Doctor Who podcast, uh, so tell us, Brendan, what is your Doctor Who origin story?
1: Right, well, when I was about five years old, I'm the youngest of three, Uh, my siblings are both a fair bit older than me, so my brother's nine years older than me, my sister is 14 years older than me, Um, I was wrestling with my brother in the hallway at home. And uh, at the end of the wrestling match, I had the upper hand. The way I remember it is I was standing on his stomach. He remembers it as I was standing on his back. But either way, he understandably rolled in pain. And the very tip of my elbow connected with the wall and broke. So the very the very cap of the elbow. Um, now, being five, I was too young to have a pin... Uh, couldn't have a cast because it was the tip of the elbow. And so it was keep your five-year-old son still for ten weeks while it heals. Ooh. And uh, what they had to keep me still was off-air recordings of, um, of Doctor Who, VHS recordings. Uh, because in Australia, unlike the UK, um, Doctor Who was repeated near constantly uh, throughout the 80s. And my dad had been watching it since 1966, so when it came on again, he started recording it, just whatever stories came around, mostly um, Pertwee, Tom Baker, Peter Davison, and yeah, I was just sort of transfixed for ten weeks, and that's what kept me still. And recently, uh, I've been helping my parents move house, and sort of all the Doctor Who stuff that was left over in the house, they're just like, well, you're getting that in the will anyway, so take it now. Um... <laughs> And one night when I was packing up some Doctor Who stuff, my my father said, Brendan, I love you, but you know you ruined Doctor Who for me, because you and your brother just knew everything about it and wouldn't stop talking about what you knew about it. I just wanted to enjoy it as a TV show. So I'm like, oh, I'm very sorry. And can I take this copy of the Doctor Who monster book? Is that okay? (laughs) Yeah, that's going? Right. Um, So yeah, that is uh, my Doctor Who origin story. I got involved in fandom around 1995, in the lead-up to the Paul McGann telemovie. I was already a member of some Star Trek fan clubs, and there was a Doctor Who fan club in Sydney, and they were handing out leaflets saying, um, look, the telemovie, I think, aired in the US and UK in May. We didn't get it till July, so they're like, we have a bootleg VHS someone's recorded, (laughs) and we're gonna play it at a church hall. Um... And yeah, so that was my first experience of fandom, and the first thing that fandom disabused me of was I bought a book called The Discontinuity Guide, which revealed that um, the regeneration in time and the Rani, the sixth Doctor, was Sylvester McCoy in a wig. And I went around to the meeting telling everyone that, and they're like, yeah, we know. Isn't that (laughs) obvious? And... So yeah, that was my first sort of experience of deconstructing Doctor Who, which I now do for Flight Through Entirety and Jodie into Terror. Uh, yeah, and so flash forward, what are we now? Twenty six years, and uh, yes, here I am.
2: Madness, madness. <laughs> do you deconstruct other television shows, or is it only Doctor Who?
1: Uh, it's mainly it's mainly Doctor Who. At the moment, with, with Bond Finger, of course, we haven't had a new Bond film in some time, uh, we do sort of related shows. So we've done episodes of The Avengers and The Saint uh, just last night and releasing this weekend as we record. Uh, we did an episode of uh, the Adam West Batman TV series. Uh, so we do look at other shows um, through the lens of this other stuff we do, but... Um, and occasionally one of the one of us comes up with an idea of, hey, we should do, like, the goodies, or all of the Avengers, or the prisoner, or something. And I just kind of go, I may dip in and out, but I'm not doing, <laughs> I'm not doing, because I did, like, the first 130-odd episodes of Flight Their Entirety. And then I sort of said to Nathan, um, I'm very happy for you to take over, and I'll just come in on half of them. <laughs> <laughs> This is knackering
2: <laughs> Well the prisoner you' only have to worry about 17 episodes so that one's not too bad this is true this no. is true yes yeah uh, speaking of of the Adam West Batman and the Avengers there is a there was mm, know, five or six years ago uh, I can't remember which company put it out but they got the rights to a lot of BBC shows and and the rights to the Adam West Batman and they made comic crossovers of uh, yes. all those classics and there's there's uh, an avengers batman crossover that uh, is done by our buddy doctor who uh, artist matt smith uh who's who's quite brilliant and it's, it's a really good it's a really good one as of yes, yet yes. no prisoner batman crossover i may have written a screenplay but uh, anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i reckon patrick McGowan would have been down for that <laughs> As long as he could have been in control uh, every step of yes. every aspect of it and produced and write it and directed it and started in it, yeah, I'm sure he probably... Yeah,
0: absolutely. absolutely. Uh, Alexis Kenner
1: as Batman, yeah, he would have been very happy.
0: I was just listening to a a, a classic one of your uh, Flight Through Entireties this morning, and it just happened to be Androids of Terra. Is that still <gasps> your favorite Doctor Who story?
1: <laughs> it is. It is. Um, And, you know, I do wonder about that occasionally, because through the wonder of Twitter, we have, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, there's an account, Herald of Creation, who for the past two years has been pitting every Doctor Who story against one another, and he's finally come up with his results, and he's publishing sort of five a day, Mm -hmm. starting from the bottom going to the top. Um, So I've been thinking a lot, like, is Androids of Tara still my favourite? And you kind of have to think, are there better stories, and quite quite possibly but i draw a line between what is better or best and favorite and i think sometimes your favorite story you can acknowledge is not the best the show has ever been but it's the it's the story that makes you feel good the most and i don't watch it endlessly because it's it's like it's like a treat it needs to be savored in my opinion i think if i did watch it endlessly i'd get bored of it um, because you know it's it's finite and there's only so much you can notice every time you watch it, but yeah, I think it's it's so atypical, and it's romantic, and it's funny. It's David Fisher, who's one of my favourite writers of the classic series. Like, or pretty much everything he writes is a hit. You know, The Creature of the Pit does dip a bit, but it was. You know, he wrote it for Mary Tam and then Lala Ward comes in and there has to be concessions made there and also, you know, problems with... Produ- I mean, Arato is a problem with production, let's be honest, <laughs> but uh, but it's there's still a great deal of wit in there and, and it's something I love so much about David Fisher is that he writes strong roles for women coming off the back of the Hinchcliffe era where there's hardly any women and... You get four different versions of Mary Tam. I mean, what is not to like? And then Peter Jeffrey is just the cherry on the cake. Don't know oh. why I said that. I don't like cherries. Anyway,
2: <laughs> but you might. Do you like cake? I like cake. There you That's go. That's the point.
1: <laughs> it's it's
2: cake, <laughs> mildly deterred with the cherry. Uh, I, you know, I don't think we've had a conversation about uh, a creature in the pit on this podcast before, but I I just want to just let everybody know that I love it. Uh, I feel like, um, I wasn't prepared to talk about this one, but um, who is our, who is our main villainess who leaves in episode three? Spoilers for Creature in the Pit, but um, Uh, uh, she leaves an episode too early. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Addressed her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, A a friend of mine in Sydney fandom um, used to go on forums and whatnot by the name Lady Addressed, nice. And, and he would do impersonations of her at the pub. He <laughs> was very good. Uh,
2: okay, androids of Tara, favorite favorite episode. Um, mm-hmm. Favorite Doctor, uh,
1: Patrick Troughton. Okay, any yeah. particular reason um, why?
2: Uh,
1: I just find he's so he's so effortless in that he can do the comedic side. And he can do the darker side. And I always believe both. And it I think, um, in the new series Matt Smith has that very similar quality as well. Um in that you do, you know, you totally believe the Fish Fingers and Custard bit, and you totally believe the Colonel Runaway bit. You know? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Um and yeah, with with Patrick, I'm so interested to see when it comes out later. The Evil of the Daleks animation, uh, because about six years ago, my husband and I did um, the Great Journey of Life. We started at an Unearthly Child and went right the way through to the Husbands of River Song. At the time, was the most recent. And um, with Evil of the Daleks, I'm like, okay, I know everyone says this is a classic, but it feels so messy and unfocused and, you know, you've got all these subplots, but I always find when these animations come out I'm able to appreciate the stories a lot more than just following the recons. Um, So I'm very interested to see that when it comes along, and of course it has Patrick doing both sides of the character. and you know, the the animation team involving um, Anne-Marie Walsh who's directing this one and the rest of the team who's worked on things like the Macra Terra and the Faceless Ones have been doing such a good job of capturing Trouton's performance through their animation yeah. which is extraordinary because he has all these micro facial expressions just, and such an expressive face um, that I'm really interested to see what they come up with there and if it goes up in my estimation.
2: I was having a conversation recently on Twitter because I don't have conversations with people in real life anymore <laughs> oh, um, God, no. No, considering no, no. the animations just how I was saying how lucky we are that we Ooh. have a fandom in which you know it's a shame we've lost these episodes but there's still enough of a fandom to make it financially feasible to animate these stories and someone was like well you know why I wish we could just get some you know Hartnell stories um, I feel like we've, we haven't gotten them in a while and I'm like yeah but I sort of feel like Troughton's on a roll And and the animation style, I feel they've got him. I think they've understood how he moves and how he kind of... I mean, don't get me wrong, I would rather have the originals back. We all... I I think we're all in that same boat. But would you... Are you a fan of the reconstructions uh, at all? Or would you prefer the animations versus reconstructions? I don't know how much of it you've watched uh, in the heyday, but I came to the fandom a, a little later, and so the reconstructions were never a part of my my pilgrimage, so.
1: Right, yeah. Um, the reconstructions were basically my first experience of those lost episodes, um, okay. because yeah, I came to the fandom in, in, well, I came to watching the show in the late 80s, fandom in the 90s, and then I think I discovered that, uh, about the missing episodes around 1997, I want to say. I had no idea. Um, and then around the year 2000, I discovered Loose Cannon's website, and I could send videotapes through the post to a man somewhere in Sydney and three weeks later get back Marco Polo and the Crusade, um, which was extraordinary. And I did sit down and watch Marco Polo in two sittings. and that's uh, seven episodes. So that's that was pretty extraordinary. Um, so yeah, I do enjoy the reconstructions. Um, I would love if every missing episode could be animated. My instinct is that the historicals, possibly with the exception of Marco Polo, won't be animated, but we will get um, high-quality reconstructions um, done by Derek Handley and team uh, on the eventual Blu-ray sets. That's my instinct. Mm. I could be, I could be totally wrong on that. I would love to be totally wrong on that, and we get everything animated. Um, but I just think the science-fictional stories will sell better. I would love to see some Hartnell. Uh, there's a rumour that Galaxy 4 is going to be animated next year. I love Galaxy 4. <laughs> I really do. I know I know it's very slight and very simplistic, and um, Peter Purvis doesn't like it very much, and I understand that, but it's absolutely great for Vicky, and I'm a huge huge Maureen O'Brien fan and Vicky fan. So if that is coming, I'm really looking forward to it. Especially if it leads to say the Dalek's Master Plan or the Savages. That would be fantastic.
0: Oh
2: yeah. Do you have a so it, you you get you get your choice of any of the missing episodes to get animated next after uh, four. So what would it be?
1: Oh look, I think the Dalek's Master Plan is a holy grail for yeah. missing okay. episode animations. Um I think the fact that there's something like 874 locations might work against it, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but 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 look, they they are incredibly ambitious. The, these uh, these animations that they're doing. So um, I would say never say never. That being said, they may leave Dalek's Master Plan to the
2: end, so they can just repurpose everything else they've ever done and do it that way. That would be the smart move. That that would make a lot of sense, and and certainly they're not working with a, a lot of money, but they're doing a lot with what they've got.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, Brendan, what is it about Doctor Who that uh, keeps you watching?
1: Oh, goodness, um, I think it's the variety and the imagination, um, and it, it it's sort of the same appeal as um as Star Trek, but at the same time we were doing a big pilgrimage of the whole. Of Doctor Who, we were doing Star Trek The Next Generation, because that started coming out on Blu-ray, and that's my favourite Star Trek, and so watching them side by side, it's like, okay, the difference between these two shows is Star Trek, especially The Next Generation, is about, we go to planet, we find a problem, we sit down and have a meeting to discuss how to solve the problem, we shoot a beam at it, and the problem is solved. That's, that's Star Trek, um, whereas Doctor Who is more, we land on a planet, there's a problem, And we muck in. We don't necessarily use technology and guns and things to sort it out. We actually dive in physically um, and solve the problem that way, often by blowing things up. And there's that sort of um, anarchic streak, I think, which is very, quite typical of British TV science fiction. Before Doctor Who, of course, you had the Quatermass serials, which were very much about the establishment, And after that, British sci-fi becomes very anti-establishment, and it was something um, Verity Lambert criticised about the Pertwee era, like, he's working for the establishment and that's not who the character is, and that's sort of not a thing we do again. Watching the Pertwee era again, it's like, well, he is chafing against the establishment constantly, and makes it very clear that the reason he's there is because he's got nowhere else to go, and I think the truth lies somewhere in between those two readings, um but yet because the doctor is not part of an establishment the story can go in different directions you know there's no there's not really a prime directive except you can't interfere with history except we say you can't interfere with history and then you interfere with history because that's the drama of the story yeah um yeah so i think i think that's the appeal is that being sort of freelancers and outside the situations they land in the characters can tell unexpected stories.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, you can go to the future, go to the past, go to whatever planet you want to. You can have a comedy, you can have a trauma, you can have a horror. A musical? A musical? <laughs> a
2: Western musical?
1: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, I, I, want, I want a musical episode on telly. I know we've had it with Big Finish and on stage. Give us a musical episode on telly. I think... I think Chris Chibnall won't because Chris Chibnall is taking he's taking the tone of the show very seriously, um, and I will leave that up to the listener to decide whether that is a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's got benefits and attractions, but give us a musical episode on telly.
2: <laughs> Be interesting. Now, if we get a musical episode, and let's hope that we do one day, uh, do you want the actors to sing with their own voices or have some? Techno babble device allowing them to actually be able to sing. So I imagine quite a few of the artists probably uh, are are quite adept at it. But
1: yeah, look, I think it's totally fine to get the actors to sing. You know, hire a singing coach um, to to give them a hand. Auto tune does wonders. Mm-hmm. Like we also watch Drag Race in this household, and believe me, there's a lot of auto tune in that show. <laughs> um, but yeah. Absolutely. There's there's no reason you can't get the actors singing with their own voice. What I would say, though, is the UK has such a tradition of theatre. Make the entire guest cast people who perform stage musicals in the UK. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be big names. Like, you don't have to get Mel B and Michael Ball, but you probably could. But certainly, get everyone else someone who's from musical theater because that way all the musical theater fans will go oh my god it's this person it's that person and it becomes a big romp and a big ride for everyone watching
0: yeah and and jody can sing there's a clip on youtube i'm yeah. sure you've seen it where she's singing uh yellow from coldplay and and then they walk oh, into yes. the studio that's such a great clip
1: yes yes that was beautiful
0: well um speaking of doctor who uh obviously that's Probably what got you into podcasting. So um, tell us your origin story for your podcasting and and how uh, Flight Through Entirety came about.
1: Right. Well, um, Flight Through Entirety came about because I have uh, in our apartment a um, a bookcase that has my Doctor Who action figures on it, and it actually only has about a half of the collection because that's all that will fit on there. <laughs> the rest are in a box downstairs, um, but. Every year, uh, not recently, obviously, but every year, we put on a cocktail party around Christmas. And one evening, uh, Nathan, Richard, and I, who uh, originated the podcast, were standing around the action figure display and creating conversations between the action figures and being absolutely filthy. Um, but also, you know, sort of deep cut references to continuity <laughs> within the, within the dirty jokes. And I just kind of thought we bounce really well off each other. Um, and there, there were these there were these things called podcasts, which I'd heard of. Um, and I had a I had a um, USB microphone from when I used to record um, audio adventures with the Planet Scaro Audio's team. And I just went, well, why don't we give it a go? And so we got together and recorded an episode based on the pilot recording of An Unearthly Child and An Adventure in Space and Time, uh, and talking about those two. And we just sort of continued from there, and um, after, about a, after about a year, Richard was uh, taking an extra course outside his, outside his work, and so he said, Look, I can't do absolutely everything, but how about we bring Todd in? So we started alternating Richard and Todd. And then when the new series came about, um, with the classic series, the way I feel about it is I've got the nostalgia of a child and my thoughts as an adult to draw on, whereas the new series, I've only got my thoughts as an adult. And so, as well as, you know, just being a bit tired by that point, I was like, I don't have as much to say on the new series and I'd like to hear some new voices. There's not much point to me coming in every week and saying the same thing, um... So at that point, we brought James in, who's another old friend of ours. All of these people, uh, the regulars on the podcast, so um, Todd, Richard, Nathan, James, um, and Peter, are people I've known since the 90s in that fandom. Um, and so people sort of message us and say, you bounce really well off each other. It's like, yeah, well, we've been doing it most of our lives.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and the ho- And the whole thing was, when we were discussing the tone of the show before we before we got started, um, I said, well one, we're gonna it, we're gonna edit it because, you know, um it's sometimes fun to hear people stumble and that's why we put the bloopers in at the end. But there are podcasts who don't edit and there's these long years where they're like, oh let me look it up on on, on <laughs> let me look that up on Google and then we'll get on. Now we do stop and look things up on Google to make sure we got cast names right and whatnot, but we cut that out. But the other thing I I said to them was I want this because when we get together like we're at a pub or someone's house and we're we're having a a drink or two and we're relaxed I said I want that tone of you're with your friends at the pub or in a cafe and people message us and say I feel like I'm sitting around a table with you and when when we get messages like that I'm like okay mission accomplished we're getting it right because that's the tone we're going for
0: yeah, that does come across because, um, I, I mean, you can actually hear like drinks and sandwiches in, in and <laughs> around the table when you're sitting around, or, well, we're going to take a break. We're going to get some sandwiches or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, it does feel like that. And, and I remember, um, uh, when you uh, took a little hiatus between the classic series and the new series, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, there, it really wasn't, I don't think it was, uh, unless it was, it, it seemed like it wasn't really, uh, Decided yet whether or not you were going to do the new series, and that very last episode was quite emotional for you guys and for me as a listener.
1: Oh well, th- well thank you. Um, we we had we had always intended to continue. Um, the conversation about Nathan basically taking over from me as um sort of moderator and podcast leader, um had had been had about ooh, six months before we recorded that episode, um, but we didn't. Entirely know what format we were going to take because Nathan, Nathan, bless him, he kept discussing changes with me, sort of bringing in um, guests from outside, and he's like, "and I don't want to have these interstitials." And and eventually, I had to say to him, "Look, if you tell me everything, I'm not going to be surprised." <laughs> because I, I get that he he's like, "this is, you know, Brendan, this is your show, and I'm making changes to it." Whereas I was more like, "No, no, no, I've 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 let go of it. I don't." I don't want to have any decision-making power. Um, And certainly, there's still times where I say to him, oh, why not try this? And when uh, Cameron, our composer, is mixing the new theme, Nathan will send me drafts, and I'm like, oh, I think bring the drums up, I think bring that down, da-da-da-da-da. But I do always say to him as well, look, if I give you feedback, and you go in a different direction, I'm totally fine with you going in that different direction. Like... You know, I'm, I'm just giving my opinion because it's been asked for. I don't expect it to be acted upon. Uh, yeah, but... We, yeah, we had always intended... Yeah, I think around the Colin Baker era we started discussing... Okay, are we going to do the new series? And then when that was very quickly decided... Um, was around the time I went... I don't want to run it. Like, I want the show to continue, but I don't want to run it. Um... Yeah, so, but yeah, that last show was very emotional. And, well, I think it, it weighed in at around two hours, that episode. Mm-hmm. And so if you imagine the recording was about three. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I think, I think about three and a half. Uh, and with, with breaks and whatnot. And um, it was the four of us sitting around uh, m- uh, my dining table. And uh, at at the end, you know, we did that um, bifam hug they do at the end of Revelation of the Daleks. Uh, and 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 that and that was very sweet. and that was very sweet. The, the main thing I wanted to get out in that episode was, um, and I don't know if you've experienced this in in your recording, but all of us at some point had come away from a recording going, "Oh, that did not go well. That did not, oh my God. how are we going to make an episode out of that?" And it always managed to work. So something I do in that episode was I told each of the other contributors the most important thing I felt they brought to the show, and that's when I started getting emotional, (laughs) and it's like, if you listen to my last line in that, my my voice does catch, and I was on the edge of tears, but I think it was after everyone left I had a good cry. You know, because as much as I didn't want to be in charge anymore, it's still letting go of of something you really enjoy. Right. I'm getting a bit emotional now talking about that day, and that was three years ago, I think, three or four years ago. But yeah, I'm 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 glad, I'm glad that emotion and that relationship, those relationships, I should say, because it's six of us now, um, come across so well.
0: Yeah, it does. It really does.
2: It's nice too. It's a it's a an audio time capsule as well. Do you go back mm. and listen to your own episodes?
1: Um, not often. And occasionally, um, when someone's catching up on the back catalogue, they'll message me and say, Oh, you know, you're so right with what you said about colony in space. And I have to say to them, I'm really sorry. Can you tell me what I said <laughs> about Colony in space? Um just because even when I was editing them, um and Nathan started helping me out with the editing in the Davison era, I think, um, even when I was editing them, um, listening to myself felt like I was listening to someone else. Um, you know, people say, Oh, how can you how can you stand to hear your own voice? I don't like hearing my own voice. It's like once it's out of my head and it's not reverberating back through my cheekbones into my own ears, it sounds like a different person. And occasionally I'd be editing and go, that's a really good point. Oh wait, that was me. Yeah, that is a really good <laughs> point. Um, but as as a result, I sort of I, I tend to forget what we've talked about... Immediately after the recording... And then when I go back and listen to the new episodes I'm on... I'm like, oh yeah, I totally forgot that discussion... So... Um, I don't go back and listen too much... Um, the one episode I've listened to a few times... Is our Pyramids of Mars... Because Richard and I go completely mad at the end of it... And I do my unit dating theory... Um, and he does a whole sketch... As Julian and Sandy, um, the classic um, the classic radio characters from Round the Horn, decorating Sutec's tomb. Um, and ties it into Terror of the Zygons. And he, he was just a force of nature for two minutes. And at the end, Nathan and I, they, I think it's even on the recording, Nathan just says, I have no idea what just happened.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go back and listen to that one. <laughs> I think it's episode I- 84 or something. Oh, that's helpful. <laughs> uh i forget almost well, immediately when we're done what we talk about and the beautiful thing is because brenton is so kind and so talented with his editing that when a new episode drops i'm always looking forward to listening not out of any kind of ego but it's like, I have no idea what we said. I really am interested in what we... What we and I'm really always curious about how he ties in or how he edits certain what, what sound bites he uses. So I've always enjoyed that. But I don't go back and listen, listen, listen to, mm, you know, mm. a year or so ago. But um, some folks do. They like it. And yeah, I, yeah. I've had those where people have said, well, you know that time you said this, this,
0: and this? And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I, do not. I apologize. I can't do that very often because I always... If I go back and listen to something I did a few years ago, I always feel like I can do it better, or I feel like um, I uh, should have said something, but I didn't, that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like
1: the first, I think, six or seven episodes of Flight Through Entirety are recorded with all all of us huddled around a USB mic, and then I bought some lapel mics and put them through a splitter, but I didn't understand about sort of passive power and active power for microphones, so that needed a lot of post-processing. And then I got the individual handheld mics and everything starts sounding a lot better. So, yeah, part of the problem of listening to, like, those first 20 episodes is I listen to the sound quality. I'm like, oh, my God, no. I'm a video editor. I'm meant to be an audiovisual professional. And I put a- I put this out into the world.
0: <laughs> but yeah, people big, don't seem to mind, which is nice. Big secret for Who and Company. I think the first three episodes I had a rock band mic as my mic. <laughs> <laughs> And it didn't sound too bad, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, now we all have snowballs, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Look at us, podcasting professionals.
2: (laughs) That's that's right.
1: Alec, get her out of here, quickly!
2: Hank, where are you going? I don't want you hurt! Mutants. Yes, I am. Perhaps you self appointed social engineers don't realize the crucial role mutation plays in species evolution. Get him! I'm sorry, gentlemen. Your anger at the inexorable alienation of late 20th century life is sadly misdirected. I mean, podcasting, uh, especially when you're discussing something that you love, is. Well, I mean, it's just that it is a labor of love. And you get mm. to. It's also a time to. Hang out with friends. That sounds like a, a part of the joy of it is not just discussing a thing that you love, but spending time with people that you love, and, and that's it's in its in its sense is its own reward.
1: Yes, yes, very what, much so.
2: What else is rewarding? Of course, it's clear that you love Doctor Who. I mean, yes, you, <laughs> yes very much <laughs> so. Thank you, uh, and, and enough so that you have you have dedicated kind of time to it, but. Uh, When we bring on a guest at Who and Company, we know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all your fandom. You have mentioned many other things that you also seem to like, but what we do is we have our guests bring a pick of the month, another television Mm -hmm. show that is not Doctor Who. Brendan, what did you choose? Please and tell us why you chose it.
1: Right. I chose X-Men The Animated Series from 1992
2: best theme song of all time.
1: Oh my goodness, isn't it so good? Um, the the covers that have been done of it as well in recent years. There's an acapella cover with five people all dressed up as X Men. Um, yeah. So this was. So I think it came to Australia a year later in 1993. We tended to get things a bit later because you you were physically sending them on boats and things. Um, and. So here it was a before-school cartoon in the mornings, during the week. And my brother had been a big fan of the X-Men comics, and particularly the New Mutants was his kind of thing. Um, and so he was watching it in the morning. So I started watching it in the morning before school, and I was just so transfixed about it. I think it must have come on early in the year, because I remember going to um, the Royal Easter show, so, Australia usually has a bunch of regional shows that happen to re- happen around the year, and it sort of goes up through Queensland, through the Northern Territory, down Western Australia, through South Australia, Victoria, back to New South Wales, and the beginning and end of the cycle is the Royal Easter show. And you get showbags, and I remember getting an X-Men showbag. And it had the first episode on a VHS tape, Night of the Sentinels Part 1, and I remember watching that, and there's a cliffhanger ending where Beast... I think Rogue and Storm are about to go through a door, and on the other side of the door are a bunch of soldiers with guns, and the credits played, and then it went to black, and I thought, did they really only put part one on this videotape? <laughs> <laughs> I can fit Doctor Who and the Silurians on one video. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, and I... J- that's the thing. Like Doctor Who, um, it was episodic. It had cliffhangers... In recent years, there's been another podcast called um, the X-Men Task podcast, uh, run by Willie and Sonia, and they went through episode by episode on X-Men, the animated series. They got to interview some of the writers who explained um, that with this cartoon, they didn't want it to be a typical, you reset at the end of every episode kind of cartoon, and the episodes can be played in any order they went to the network and said, we want to do story arcs. We want to treat this as a drama. It just happens to be a 22-minute animated drama. And that first season has a 13-episode story arc with individual stories within it that link in to a greater whole. Um, And... That's the thing, though. As a kid, you know, you sleep in some mornings, you miss an episode here and there. There's a previously on X-Men thing. Um, And then, a few years ago, it came to streaming. I'm like, right, this is my chance to see everything, because I was pretty sure I'd missed some episodes. Uh, When it was released on VHS, it was sort of piecemeal. I think only half the episodes ended up on VHS. It was about 76 episodes. So... I watched the whole thing as an adult and the fascinating thing was occasionally I would go oh yeah I remember seeing this one. And when I say the story arcs the phoenix arc was a five-parter followed by a four-parter. And so naturally I missed some of those. Like I missed one and the next day jeans in a hospital bed I'm like what what the hell what the heck's happened here? Um but yeah, it was the similar kind of thing to Doctor Who in that it was highly imaginative. These people, not that I had this articulation as a kid, but, but these people were outside the system. And they, each of them had different motivations. Uh, there's an episode early on called The Cure, where um, there is a possibility to cure each of the mutations. Um, and... Most of the X-Men, all of whom have superpowers, and they're sort of shunned from society because of it, um, most of the X-Men are like, no, 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 I wouldn't change for anything. But there's one person in the team who is a rogue, who is the person i most identified with as a kid. Her special power is that she drains people's life essence, and she can't control it, which means she can never touch anyone with, bare, with her bare hands. And so she wants the cure and i i just remember as a kid like well hold on no you know wolverine's right we shouldn't have to change but at the same time i totally understand where rogue is coming from and so you create again this is me as an adult looking back i was recognizing the drama of it um through characters who have different motivations and no one's necessarily wrong no one's necessarily right it's just it's just it's just real life and even the villains have motivations you understand. It's not just, ooh, I'm evil. Ooh, I want to take over the world. Like, you've got Magneto, and Magneto does want to take over the world, but the reason he wants to take over the world is that he has suffered persecution and has just, has tried to work through in a peaceful manner, and just been shunned and rejected at every turn. And, in the end, he's just like, okay, nope, I I, I tried being nice and I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh... Yeah, and I think just that complexity of it, uh, appealed to me as a kid.
2: So how old were you when you first started watching it?
1: Uh, I would have been nine or ten. Okay. When I fir- when I first started watching it, which I think I think is the ideal age mm-hmm. for that. Um yeah, so I'd already been a Doctor Who fan for a few years and then this comes along and, and I'm huge I'm a huge fan of this as well. And it was the other thing was, no one else at school was into Doctor Who. Despite the fact it was on pretty much every afternoon for three quarters of the year as reruns, no one was into Doctor Who, but everyone enjoyed X-Men and Power Rangers. They, they were the two that you knew you had, you know, you could talk to another kid about. And, you know, we had, we had X-Men toys. Like, I had a Wolverine and a Gambit, um, and a friend of mine had, I think, Magneto and we would we would play with we would play with X Men toys and tell our own stories about that. I remember there was a there was a Happy Meal toy, which um, it was four characters in little cars and the cars could link together. And I remember getting that and loving it. But at the same time, coming up with a story and, a, and like playing with them and coming up with a story as to why they couldn't get out of these little cars because they were of course like injection molded into them. Um, but yeah, it it fired it fired the imagination in that way and it was something I could share with other people because I was always trying to get my friends into Doctor Who and no no
0: <laughs> Well, you could use those uh, linked cars as a crossover to Doctor Who in the Tenant episode where they're in the long traffic jam, <laughs> what was that? Gridlock. Gridlock, yeah. Yes. There's a beast
2: might as well be a, a cat person, right? So you can get, Yeah, that's right. Get Arlen O'Hanlon to play him. <laughs> uh yeah well and the reason i ask about age too is because the the show rewatching it now the first time in probably a decade i have i bought all the dvds when the dvds came out because this was definitely a program that i i loved and i watched mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. i i'm almost first and foremost a comic book nerd and that was the fandom that i had that was that was my hidden sin uh, mm. from from the world where like I read comics and that's what I did on the weekends and I worked in comic shops and stuff like that and, and I didn't have friends who knew a lot about comic books though I think the X-Men show probably was popular but yeah so when it came out on the uh, I got into it not so much for Saturday Morning Cartoons which is what it came out in the States but when it went into syndication a year later through afternoon, so when I would yeah. come home from school, I would go over to a friend's house and watch X-Men with them. And I think probably, no, not Power Rangers. Power Rangers hadn't come out yet. But, um, yeah, but being a comics fan and knowing all those story arcs and seeing how in 22 minutes they would put together maybe six issues, six months mm, of a comic mm, book, mm. and then they would cut major parts out and change certain characters' motivations and origins and put them together, and that I found fascinating because I I know there's probably going to be some younger listeners who have not existed in a world where superhero media is not the dominant form of media. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And there, there was a time where we were so desperate. I people, people like me were so desperate for it that it didn't matter the quality, how good the writing was, what it was. I mean, if there was a superhero video game, I bought it just because it was superheroes, and usually, it was garbage because <laughs> it was just a recycled engine from from some failed game, and they just put Wolverine in, it and and I ate it up. You said that you had gotten your. You got your uh, Night of the Sentinels from a tote. Um, I got mine from Pizza Hut. So when the series (laughs) first came out, you could go to Pizza Hut and you could buy, I think it was called like Creators something. I still have them. I know I still have them. I think we had five cassettes, you know, VHS tapes, of course, Mm -hmm, and Night of the Sentinels on it. I think we got both episodes on the first tape because I know I watched that over and over and over again. It came with, uh, there's a little bit at the end, It was an interview with Stan Lee, Uh, It came with a collector's card, and it came with a mini comic book. And, um, you know, that was like this a treasured thing. Could you believe it? They made an X-Men cartoon because prior to that, the only time we had ever seen the X-Men animated was in 83, 84 for Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which, you know, they teamed Spider-Man with Iceman, an uh, X-Men, and Firestar, also a mutant. uh, Mm -hmm. And at one point in time, they, they go to uh the Xavier's mansion and they meet all the X-Men and Wolverine's a Canadian. Uh no, sorry, an Australian. He's Australian. Yep. 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 Terrible foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> <Here> you go. <laughs> Who knew that all those years <laughs> long all <laughs> uh yeah. yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, this is it it is a deeply nostalgic uh show for me and mm. watching it these last week or so from the, the episodes that you recommended I wanted to watch all of it and I knew, knew I didn't have time but uh, the episodes in particular and I do want to talk about the episodes in particular but first I want to mm. find out Brent's history with the show but just being able to go back and watch this and uh, just blown away by the subject matter that mm-hmm. this show tackled yeah. uh, as a Saturday morning program I can't think of another show that was this mature uh,
0: p- period.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Brent, yeah.
0: did you watch the X-Men cartoon as a kid? I did not, actually. Uh, I've never really been a fan of animated drama shows. It's not that I'm opposed to them, it's just that I've not found very many that hold my interest for very long, but there are a few exceptions and this is one of them. Uh, I never saw this when it was on, but um, So this was a really nice surprise to see these this past week and to see um, how more grown up this series is than most children's television or cartoons, sort of like Batman the Animated Series was. Um, But I mostly was a uh, DC fan when I was growing up. I Mm like Marvel, but I was really only interested in Spider-Man and Captain America, maybe the Hulk. So when this came out originally, I I think it was on Fox. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't watch it. Uh, I wish I had now and that I, Now that I've seen a few I'll definitely go back and watch all of them uh, I think the storytelling is very well done Also, I, I really like Like you were saying earlier uh, The entire series uh, Built on itself as it went It wasn't just an episode of the week There were arcs in there um, I also discovered more characters Than I knew existed in X-Men And uh, funnily enough Some of these characters I've seen in the movies But I didn't really know who I was looking at uh, people like uh, the the Beast and Colossus. So after I watch the whole series, it'll be fun to revisit these X Men movies because I've only seen the first two, and mm. and see if things like Days of Future Past and Dark Phoenix live up to their animated counterparts.
2: Yeah, yeah. The I think I think the
0: <clears throat> and there's so many different
2: X Men iterations of X Men movies now, uh, and there will be more once it gets absorbed into MCU. We'll talk about that in a bit. But it, I think the the popularity of the comics transitions well to the popularity of the animated series, which I think the the modern uh, movies owe a lot to the animated series in the way that you can tell a story quickly and succinctly.
1: Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And something something I, I I had to be very careful of when I was making that list um, to 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 send to you both was I kind of thought okay. Uh, look, I'd love to recommend the whole of the the Phoenix Saga, but I promised I'd restrict it to ten, and that's nine episodes. So it's like, <laughs> uh. so it was it was a matter of choosing episodes that were interesting on their own, which made it clear that there were story arcs, but you didn't need to have seen seven or eight episodes in the lead up to it. And that it's it's really it's really hard to pick. And after I sent you that list, I'm like, well, hold on, I haven't picked anything that highlights Magneto. I've barely picked anything that highlighted Storm, who's another character I loved as a kid, um, and I th- I kind of thought, and there's only really two or three episodes that highlight Gambit for for goodness sake. And I, I suppose that's possibly because he was the newest character in the com from the comics. Uh, Jubilee was introduced nineteen eighty nine, and Gambit nineteen ninety, I think. So there's sort of their their characters get very few episodes dedicated to them, but. They get a lot of reactions to what the other characters are doing as well, um, so yeah. Sort of sitting down and watching it from uh, from the start is a, is a great way because you sort of get to the um, the the end and kind of go, oh wow! Like okay, all these characters are coming back in the final episodes, and now we know where they're from, what they've been doing all this time, etc., etc. And it's it's also really interesting that they mix characters from generation one generation two and generation three and even sort of more recently um there's a an episode that focuses so much on gambit's background and it was aired around the same time that the comic it was based on was released that's how closely they ended up working together oh wow
2: yeah yeah i was thinking um you, as soon as you said it, it was like yeah gambit was that new that hot new character because you know that's the thing as a writer especially at this point in time for comics you talk to you listen to any interview with the writers and like what we were trying to do was tell a good story one but if we could create a memorable character at this time it was the first time that the marvel was producing legitimate action figures and i know that the name escapes me but the creator of apocalypse said that the rights to Apocalypse, um, for the action figure for that first set, and it wasn't even a great figure. I mean, that wasn't a great mm-hmm. set. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, you know, Magneto had, had magnets in his hands, and that was a that was stupendous. But he said that just the money that he got from that basically paid for like fixing his house. He was like, wow. so the idea is you want to create a good character that could potentially make it to the cartoon, to uh, an action figure, because you're getting extra money in there and so we see this sort of glut of characters they throw a bunch at the wall and not a lot of them stick and Gambit's one of those that as soon as Gambit shows up you know in the background of one boy my nerd cred I can't I I I have them somewhere (laughs) in my basement I've recently gone through and just cataloged kind of like my my comics I I did reread Jubilee's first uh issue the other day and it's just like girls night out all the all the ex ex-women go shopping and run into Jubilee because M Squad is chasing her and it's just like it's kind of a fun episode you know like it's a fun issue yeah. and, um. but it's it's neat to see all of that kind of come about but you're right Gambit who was a new character at the time the fact they chose him is really fascinating because there's no backstories for him in the first season because he's just a character because he's just the flirty Cajun guy
1: hmm but they do turn it into an asset because mm-hmm. at the end of the first season, he is under suspicion. Right. Um, right. um So there's a lot of time travel. Uh, and one of the one of the stories I recommended to you both was One Man's Worth, which deals mm-hmm. with time travel. But that's part of a bigger time travel arc. And a time traveler comes back and says, look, there's going to be an assassination. And I think it's Gambit because my memory's been scrambled. But his face is familiar. And when Gambit tries to protest his innocence, because and we later find out, you know, to call Gambit an assassin is the worst thing you can call him, because he's not an assassin, he's a thief. The assassins are the other side that his, <laughs> that the thieves are at war with, you find out later on. Um, but they they sort of turn that lack of knowledge about the character into an asset, because Gambit, Gambit kind of says, Why are you believing this guy? We don't know anything about him. And the X-Men turn around and say, Well, we don't know anything about you. You never talk about yourself, so they turn, they flip it on its head. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. we haven't told you much about Gambit, but that was a plot point. It's not because we don't know who the character is
2: either. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you had mentioned a little earlier that you felt that, um, kind of related to Rogue as a character. Um, mm-hmm. Is that your favorite character from the animated series? As far as the regular cast,
1: um, I think I think Rogue is probably my favorite character. And looking back, um, I think it's probably because um I, I probably because as a kid I knew I was gay before I knew what gay was. Right. And so I knew I was different and I feared rejection. Um and you know, as I say, as a kid I wasn't articulating any of this, but I think that's why I latched onto Rogue. hmm Because Rogue had that same fear, which is explored throughout the series. Um and yeah, I one of the episodes I remember most vividly was sort of during summer in Australia. They would occasionally put on kids' shows at like six thirty in the evening, um, because it's non ratings period. But we still need something prime time. Let's put an, let's put an X, uh, an import there. And I remember there were a couple of weeks where they double banked some X Men episodes at that time, and one of them was a Rogue's Tale, which mm-hmm. was on which was one of the episodes I recommended as well, and that explores Rogue's background and explains how she got some of her how she got her invulnerability in her flight. And that episode stuck with me so much because it's about Rogue making peace with her past and things she regrets. And ends on a really hopeful, optimistic note. And yeah, I it's kinda like I don't think at the time I knew why Rogue was my favourite character, but I think I do now.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah you had mentioned something about like you know rogue wants to be normal yeah uh, and one of the things they don't really address in at least the ones that i remember is you know all the x-men are physical specimens uh yes. they are they're all real pretty um <laughs> and it's like oh no the the world hates us because we're different but it also looks like someone poured us into this spandex outfit. Uh, and yeah. I'm saying that for both the men and the women uh, oh, yes. they, were, they were in that unfortunate time looking back now where they thought that the Superman built in underoos uh, aspect of the <laughs> costume was a good fashion choice <laughs> and it's not especially uh, in yellow, uh, vivid blues and yellows, it really there's a mm, there's a lot that draws the eye to that yes. general section on everyone's costumes <laughs> everyone's costumes um yeah but what we don't ever get because beast beast for one for beauty and the Beast, he, he talks about what it's like being a monster that he is and of course mm-hmm. even at the time when i watched it as a youth i'm like but that's not Beast sexual mutation he gave himself <laughs> those powers when he drank a potion mm-hmm. and when he was a member of the avengers doesn't matter comic nerd but i digress <laughs> i think it really would have been nice to have gotten another character maybe like nightcrawler on a regular basis who wasn't ever going to pass yeah you know like passing is such an important part because the x-men you can put your own marginality uh, whoever you are on the x-men mm. uh, and I think that's I think that's a draw you know the idea is they're teenagers who are you know you know you know they f- they feel different from the rest of the world and that's who you're I think that's your, your base, your reader base, at least for the comic, but you can really transpose whatever you want on it. And that's certainly one of the reasons that I was drawn to the the comics as a kid, but I still think it would have been really nice if we had someone other than beast who, who wanted to be physically normal and didn't look like, you know, I guess we had it morph in the first episode was, you know, not amazing. That voice was a bit much,
0: but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Drew, did you have a favorite character on you?
2: I mean, listen, I it was the 90s. It was going to be both Wolverine and Gambit. Um, I, I wish I could say Rogue, because I think Rogue is the far more interesting character uh, as far as the, the regular cast. Both Rogue and Beast, I think, are the two most compelling, have the most compelling stories around them. But no... I was a part of that Liefeld era uh, where, you know, pouches, m- bulges, muscles, and, and guns. And so, yeah, the, the 90s anti-hero, both Wolverine, yeah. Now it's it's definitely Rogue and Beast, but uh, at the time, definitely Gambit and Wolverine.
0: How about you, Brent? Uh, I'd have to say mine was, was probably Rogue, just mm-hmm. based on these few uh, episodes that we saw. Um. Aside from her squeaky voice and her terrible screams, um, oh, those p- screams are horrifying. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, you really get the, she's in pain. <laughs> mm. Like not just pain. That's that is a the scream of existential dread as well. Yeah. Uh, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Rogues Tale.
0: Yeah, uh, her background was the most interesting to me mm-hmm. in these few episodes. We saw a uh, Rogues Tale was uh, one of the episodes we watched, and and. That was my favorite out of the ones uh, you sent us Brendan. Um, it was really cool to discover that she was apparently raised by mystique and she had sort of usurped Miss Marvel's powers for a while I didn't expect to see her in there so uh, yeah I really enjoyed that so um, like I said I've only seen these few but I, out of those I um, I think rogue was is my favorite right now
2: yeah. Now, Brendan, you you have admitted to Liking Comics. If you could have chosen a different ex person, member from the comic, to have been in the rotating for the animated series, who would you've chosen?
1: Um, I would have had uh Angel in there mm. um, more more permanently. He is uh, recurring and of the original five, so you've got um Cyclops, Gene, uh Beast, are Regulars. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, Beast is written out for much of the first series because they ju- they actually thought he wouldn't be that popular, mm-hmm. and then they had people writing and saying, "When are you getting him out of jail?" And yeah, right. So, yeah, um, but of course, uh, Angel appears early on in the Cure because, like Rogue, he kind of wants to get rid of his powers, um, and becomes Archangel. Mm-hmm. So, and then a- as Archangel, he returns a few times and has an arc. Um, no pun intended. And of of the other originals, Iceman only appears once, and um, I won't spoil too much, but he he he's a bit of a moron, really, when he does appear, and he's not very likable. Um, but yeah, I would have Warren Worthington in there because off the back of this, uh, I did end up reading about the first twenty issues. They re they republished them as X Men the early years when the mm-hmm. when the show was on and i found his character the most inter uh, yeah kind of the most interesting out of the original lineup because he comes from a background of great privilege his family is rich old money etc and of course he's gorgeous and beatific and whatnot but he does feel the encumbrance of his wings and the comics go into great detail about how he has to strap them down and it feels like pinning his shoulders back all the time. Um, And so he would have been an interesting character to explore, but I I wonder if they sort of already had that, and even more so with Rogue. Right.
2: Also, the other thing is, if your power is flight, one, it's difficult to animate flapping wings. Uh, That's a a real pain. Um, And if you already have um, Storm Who Can Fly... And you have to animate her, the wind picking her up, and you have Rogue who can fly, and you can just have her static and and just kind of move her around the background, which is a a much easier way to to animate flight. And then I guess Jean can use her telekinesis. Um, I've always amazed, as I'm watching this, how easy they can go. Rogue uh, Storm has weather powers, right? Uh, what is the level of her power? Man, eh, just make something up. Uh, I was like, okay, so she can pick up an entire building with her wind? Yeah, yeah, that mm-hmm. sounds fine. Yeah, can you drop yeah, that fine. on, Juggernaut? Okay. Um, yeah. uh, a Jubilee, she just shoots sparks, right? Except for when she can bend, you know, four-foot-thick uh, metal walls. I, I'm not complaining. It's a kid's show. Uh, I I enjoy it, but part of me is just going, there's no continuity with <laughs> with any of this. And I love it. And I yes. love it because it was... Yeah. it's. Is such a part. Yeah. Um,
1: um, a, w- a word on Jubilee, if I can. So, please. Jubilee is obviously introduced to be. Um, she's the audience identification mm-hmm. character if people are just like, I just need someone my own age to look at. And that kind of thing can live or die on its execution. So, you look at something like Star Trek Next Generation, Wesley Crusher was an incredibly polarizing character you look at, um, I think it was Growing Pains in the last season brings in Leonardo DiCaprio because all the kids had gotten a bit too old to be identified with other, with other children. And, you know, Cousin Oliver in the Brady Bunch kind of thing. Um, Jubilee, for me, as a viewer at the time, was successful. I look at her as an adult now and I kind of go, okay, she's a bit annoying. But at the same time... Um, there there's a moment in the first series where because during the first series she's constantly left behind and it's like no it's too dangerous stay here no it's too da-. and then at the end of the first series she's told to stay behind and she gives quite an impassioned speech that you know I'm uh, look I'm underpowered I'm not experienced but I'm one of you and I'm coming and it's that simple and from that moment on, um her her character's really interesting in that she has this long history of being very trusting and not not necessarily being betrayed, but finding out that people have ulterior motives, but maintaining her positivity and her and her faith in humanity in spite of that. And I think that's an important juxtaposition when you have characters like Wolverine and Gambit who understandably are very world-weary. And so you've got, and then you've got the relationship between Wolverine and Jubilee, which in the films is transposed to Wolverine and Rogue for totally understandable reasons. Um, but yeah, the relationship between Wolverine and Jubilee is absolutely—it's absolutely beautiful because Wolverine is this sort of big, hard, gruff exterior, and then this teenage girl comes along, and he sort of takes her under his wing, and and protects her and. Yeah, it's, it's just a lovely relationship between those two.
2: It's fascinating to me that, that that seems to be Wolverine's role with youth. is He's always going to be teen, uh, teamed up with the teenage girl because prior to Jubilee, it was Kitty Pride in the comics. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in fact, um, doing a little bit of research, not nearly as much as I probably should have with this animated series, I read that the original pitch was called Pride of the X-Men and it was supposed to be really Kitty Pride is the POV character it was going to be it's you know the classic comic welcome to the x-men hope you survive the experience you know, yes. she was going to join <laughs> and see everything from her point of view and it didn't work out and they they chose jubilee who was a a relatively new character at the time um was mm. kind of like, like you had said it just been there for about two or three years before um but then to have wolverine team up with rogue and the yeah i mean it's just like like all right you're the badass of the group, but you're always going to be the one that looks after. And I think, in a way, it's sort of if you have your uh, audience identifier and you're kind of like, who's the cool one? Who would you most want to hang out with? You want to hang out with Wolverine? Okay. We'll <laughs> pair you up with You're with Wolverine. Yeah. There you yeah, go. That's,
1: that's a really great point. Um, for me, it, it kind of goes back to Looney Tunes and you had that big dog, um, mm-hmm. Mark Antony, and the little kitten.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and he would always protect the little kitten, but he was a big bad dog, but he'd protect the little kitten. <laughs> and the little kitten was almost oblivious to any danger that was going on right. because Brutus was protecting them. Yes. And I, I think that then becomes a trope in cartoons that you do have the big bad-ass character, but with a heart of gold mm-hmm. sort of thing. And Wolverine kind of needs that because he's not allowed to kill anyone. This is this is Saturday morning. He's allowed to mess up robots.
2: That's it, and he's not allowed to swear. <laughs> it's amazing, though. Even though Wolverine isn't the one doing the killing, a lot of folks die in these stories. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot yeah. of death. I mean, it's mm-hmm.
2: it's all off screen and and but I mean, not just you know spoilers for the 35 year old uh, cartoon. Not just you know morph, but the, there's is when you're dealing with alternate timelines and days of future past and you know, that this phase isn't going to matter because they're going to fix it. You know, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. can kill everybody. And there are people yeah. dying left and right in the, especially in the background, like a, the a man's worth. There's a whole bunch of folks. Man's worth is there's a, we could probably talk 30 minutes just on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the inclusion of Marvel's Avengers, and you know those weren't supposed to be in there, uh, just kind of in the background. You know the, the superheroes, uh, yeah, but uh, it's a it's a neat story plot. It's amazing how something with genetic mutations and evolution deals with a lot of time travel, but it yes. works out for us because this is a Doctor Who podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. um, we 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 have talked a little bit about crossovers um, previously, and I'm I'm kind of curious how would an X-Men Doctor Who episode crossover uh work and and I I, I would say specifically the animated series um right. rather than the movies how would you how would you pitch that if you wanted to I know I'm putting you on the spot but I'm just kind of curious mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um
1: I think I would pitch it as a heist <gasps> so there there is there is something there is a MacGuffin um perhaps it's a perhaps it's a virus perhaps it's another version of the cure um perhaps you know it's a d mutant it's a mutant depowering gun whatever it is mm-hmm. there is a macguffin and it's hidden in a it's hi- okay it is hidden in a space casino so you bring in the shiar empire as well to this okay, and, good, that's how, and that's how the x men get there. so they want this macguffin However, the Doctor also needs this MacGuffin. Now the X-Men want it for their own protection. The Doctor wants it because it is an evolutionary weapon. Mmm. And the Doctor's gonna sort that out. No, that's not what we want. So you have a heist-in-a-space casino with the X-Men running around trying to get this thing, and this woman in a really long silly coat covered in rainbows keeps getting in their way. <laughs> And she doesn't have any powers, but she's got this yellow stick that really hurts. Like it's vibrated Wolverine, and he's not happy, you know. And and of course, yeah, around the around the thirty five minute mark, they, they figure out they're there for the same reason and join forces. Yeah, I like. Uh, it. You, yeah,
0: you you can't see me, Brendan, but I'm throwing money at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. I mean,
1: yeah, I think that's... The key thing with these kind of crossovers is you have to have fun with them, because the mm-hmm. idea... I mean, even with the, the, the CW, when they have crossovers, they sort of acknowledge, okay, this is a little bit ridiculous that we have to have Barry Allen running across dimensions to get all these characters together. So let's have fun with it and make jokes and not be too po-faced about it and acknowledge right. the ridiculousness of the situation. Um, but yeah, also I'm thinking there, take both sets of characters slightly out of their comfort zone so we're not dealing with a story in new york um mm-hmm. as the x-men often would be we're taking it into doctor who territory because i think you you go for the most interesting thing which is to go into doctor who territory um and yet then you have the characters in opposition to begin with because if they're working together at the beginning that's no fun
2: right no i like it could we also have wolverine since wolverine likes to. A- Kill robots. Could we have Wolverine cut through a Dalek? Yes. Exterminate this, bub.
1: <laughs> okay, I, I, that, that's that that's got me having an idea then. Okay, so the pre-title sequence, you know, we're close up on a Dalek and the Dalek is ranting, you are an enemy of the Daleks, you will be destroyed. Um, You are the inferior species, exterminate, exterminate, exterminate. Claw comes through. Mm-hmm. And pulls it back out. And you pull out to reveal that the Dalek was just an uh, just an animatronic at the front of the casino. and
2: Oh, Sc- I love it. And
1: Scott and Scott's just looking at Wolverine saying, Remember how we're not meant to be drawing attention to ourselves? Can, can, can you can you stop destroying the furniture? And then What's just a stupid down, robot? I've got down, no idea. da 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 da
2: da 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 da
0: <laughs> I, I also yeah, I mean, like
2: the idea because we're doing it in space with Corsair and Hepzibah like in the the classic Bond and Bond girl ghost where you're like and this is my bond girl. She's a squirrel, a space squirrel or whatever <laughs> Hepzibah is, but you know. Yes. Yes. There we go. <laughs> Quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I'm there. I I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm absolutely there. Uh so apparently um uh, around 2020 before the world started to collapse um Disney Plus said, hey, you know, people seem to be downloading this uh, X-Men animated series a whole lot. What if we just continued it? Now, I don't know if the plans are still there, but uh, there are interviews out there where they have they are talk- in the talks about potentially continuing it um, sort of same format, M- uh, uh, modernizing the animation and continuing with the arcs that they they have had in the 20 plus years, 30, 30, I'm God, I'm old. Thirty plus years uh, since the show came out, which there's oh, plenty of them. So I think that would be cool. Um, um yeah. Well, as, as with any show, I love.
1: I'm I'm intrigued by the concept of a revival. Like, uh, if I if I sort of look at what my five favorite TV shows are, they're Doctor Who, The Avengers, Babylon Five, Star Trek: the Next Generation, and X Men: The Animated Series. Now, Doctor Who, of course, has had its revival. Um the Avengers had a movie which wasn't terribly good. I love Uh it. <laughs> just putting in my two cents. <laughs> it's a be- look, it's beautiful. It's a it, beautifully directed film. Um Babylon 5 would be very hard to bring back now. Most of the cast are unfortunately no longer with us. Uh Star Trek Next Generation has sort of had its sequel series, which with the Pecan series which is going on. Um and then you have The X-Men, and of course, being animation, you can easily, um, bring it back. I believe most of the cast are still with us. Um, I think possibly Cedric Smith, who played Professor Xavier, has passed away. I'm not sure. I remember, um, one of the male cast passed away last year. It could have been Norm Spencer. Um, but here's, here's the thing. I've considered how I would bring the Avengers back. Um... And basically, I would make it a period setting. It would stay in the 60s. Visually, it would still be in the 60s. Um, But then then I've started thinking about diminishing returns. It's like, is what makes the original so special is that it ended? Mm. But on the other hand, you've got something like Doctor Who, where what is special about the new version doesn't spoil what is special about the old version. Uh, There was a, a comic miniseries a couple of years ago, uh, called X Men '92, which very much captured the spirit of it and felt like season six, if you like. Um. Yeah, I think I think for a uh, for a revival to be successful, I think you would have to get the original creatives back on board, and thankfully they are still so interested in the series. Uh, one of the directors of the series is on Twitter as uh, I think at X Men director, and he's sharing storyboards and. This is how we came at this scene. He's saying, actually, in in the script it said this, but I turned around to the writers and I said, well, what if we do this instead? And apparently it was a very collaborative process. Um, there was a book published recently by two of the head writers mm-hmm. uh, detailing it. So they're all still so interested, which is fantastic. And, and you know what, saying all that, We had Batman the Animated Series, which has kickstarted all these movies and all these other series, and the quality of that has been maintained. So there's no reason that a revival of X-Men the Animated Series could not be as good as the original. I would watch it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would too, yeah. Oh,
2: God, yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: You couldn't keep me away. Yeah. Brendan, this has been an absolute pleasure. Before we we let you go, is there anything you want to... Any projects that you're working on you want to plug? Um... By the time this comes out,
1: I will be uh, regularly uploading to YouTube again. I, I took a bit of a break from that uh, just because um, helping my parents move house. It's like, okay, no, this is taking this is taking all my spoons at the moment. Mm. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm just going to focus on that. Uh, but yeah, my YouTube channel Brandy Bongos uh, should be should be up and running again. Um, in terms of the series, it's seventy six episodes in total. They're twenty two minute episodes. Uh, so you know, if it's kind of a thing of watch an episode a day, if if um if you if you'd like to if you'd like to see it, I thoroughly recommend it, especially if you are a fan of um DC or Marvel, and um and as you said, that's become like the dominant media, and the sort of the X Men are sort of conspicuous by their absence in the MCU because of rights and whatnot. Um, and this cartoon series is a very different take from the films that Fox gave us. Right. And f- for the most part, I enjoy the films that Fox gave us, but this this, this is my X-Men. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, this is the sort of tone I would actually like to see in the MCU. And especially, I think, if in the MCU you enjoy things like uh, Thor Ragnarok, Doctor Strange, um, Captain Marvel... This is very similar in tone to those. Um, And occasionally it will pack a punch. Like, I I cry at least three times a season. (laughs) Season three is longer, so make it five. Um, And, you know, that... God, when did we watch... We watched this all the way through about four years ago. So, you know, as a 33-year-old man, I'm there sobbing my eyes out as... All of the X Men figure out a way to revive Jean Grey after the Dark Phoenix leaves her, and th- uh, I, w- I won't spoil it for you, Brent, because I ho- I hope you get there. But they 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 do they they figure out they figure out a way, and it's just shot so beautifully, scored so beautifully, performed so well. Mm. Um, and that's the other thing: all these actors would physically get together to perform this. And oh, really? in animation these days, that's less common. Even something like Archer, which I'm a huge fan of, the cast are very rarely together to record that. And it's amazing they have the chemistry they do, considering that. Whereas for this, um, they were recording, I believe, in LA, mm-hmm. while Spider-Man, the animated series, which was being made at the time, same time, was recording in New York. And there's an episode of Spider-Man where, I think, Wolverine, Storm... Storm, And, an, yeah. and another X-Men are in it and they flew the actors over to record with the cast because they're like, this is our model and this is how we get these great performances and this camaraderie is actually getting these people together. Um, and I think that, I think that leads to something really special. So it's it's kind of like whether it's revived, if it's revived, fantastic. But if it's not, we have these 75 perfect episodes plus, Wish yourself a Moloch Little Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when you
2: get to that one,
1: you'll know what I mean. <laughs>
2: is that the, the Gene Gambit in the kitchen fighting?
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. <clears throat> it's like even Jubilee's Fairy Tale Theater is better than this.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, mm, that gives something for all of us to look forward to. <laughs> Brendan, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Drew, Brent, thank you both so much for having me. I've had so much fun.
2: And thank you for joining us at Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout-out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash Pixel Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at WhoandCompany. Support the show on Patreon.com slash WhoandCompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Here's Johnny. (gasps) Juggernaut. That lunatic half-brother of his. I'd know that stink anywhere. Who and Company, come for the fandom.
0: Stay for the company.
2: (laughs) And there we go. Yeah. Marvelous. And all that's coming up right after this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which one of these
2: audacities is recording now? It's this one and I'm stopping.